This morning's Old Testament reading is from the book of the prophet Joel in the second chapter beginning at verse 28 and continuing through verse 32. I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. The Lord speaks. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also on my men servants and my maid servants I will pour out my spirit in those days. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the remnant whom the Lord calls. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. The New Testament reading for this morning is the story of the coming of the Spirit of God upon the disciples at Pentecost, found in Acts chapter 2, the opening 11 verses this morning. And again, I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. When the day of Pentecost had come, they, the disciples, were all gathered in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues, as of fire, appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages, as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are not all those who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs in our own language. We hear them speaking about God's deeds of power, all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? Here ends this reading from God's holy word. What does this mean? That is the question of the day. That is the question of Pentecost. What does this mean? A strange noise, something like the sound of a gusting wind, perhaps like a, a derecho or a tornado, like a, a train of ox carts. 
was disturbing Jerusalem. And then as quickly as it began, it ceased. And the folks looked out from their windows and they went out into the streets and the squares. They climbed to the top of the city walls and yet they saw no clouds. There was no damage to property or structures. They were sure that they had heard something, but they couldn't figure out what it had been. What does this mean? They asked. They, who were asking, they were almost exclusively Hebrews. This we know from verse 5 of the first of this chapter in Acts. Now, there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And Jerusalem was for its day a fairly large metropolis. It was a cosmopolitan city. Strategically, it sat on high ground just to the west of the fertile Jordan River Valley. And commercially, it was situated on an important trading route. Religiously, it was home to the great temple which Herod had been expanding. And his son continued to make it a wonder of the ancient world. Yes, there were many Jewish residents of the city. And at this very moment, there were many more who were in town living temporarily as they stayed over for a holy convention of sorts. The Feast of Pentecost was one of three annual observances that devout Jews were, if able, expected to come to the city and to the temple to participate in as a community of the people of God. Pentecost was for the Jews a festival of harvest of the, what we would call the winter wheat. So not only were the Jews of Jerusalem in the city, but they were joined by many, many other Hebrews from near and from far as well. The population swelled in Jerusalem like that on Chincoteague at Pony Pennant, or like Ocean City does for the air show. This, then, is the they who were asking, what does this mean? Residents and visitors alike, mainly Hebrews. And because they included so many who had traveled there on pilgrimage to observe Pentecost in accordance with the prescription of the Old Testament, it is reasonable, then, to assume that the hearers of this noise knew their Bible pretty well. They had read or heard at least the words of the Old Testament and were familiar with both the God who is the author and subject of the book and his powerful works of emancipation, which had freed the Hebrews individually and corporately time and time again from both captivity and oppression. I suspect then that when the sound like that of a rushing violent wind came upon Jerusalem, many there, seeing no evidence of a natural disaster, recalled then the many times in Scripture when the presence of God was announced first by a whirlwind. What does it mean, they wondered, that such a noise has once again invaded the physical world as a prelude to a divine manifestation of some sort. They didn't have to wait very long for an answer, for God 
was just about to speak to them again in yet another stunning and miraculous way. As the rest of the city was scanning the horizon and turning their gaze heavenward, aiming to catch sight of the source of this unexpected and most disruptive noise, the apostles, together in a room of a Jerusalem residence, were witness there to a theophany, a a self-revelation of God. They had all experienced such in the form of walking with the Son, both before his crucifixion and after his resurrection. But this, this was new even to them. Here, just as Jesus had promised them in accordance with his instructions to them prior to his ascension, the Holy Spirit was descending to reside with them all. The evidence in that room shown to and among those gathered there were the divided tongues as of fire that rested upon them, burning but not consuming, just as had been the case with the bush that Moses had encountered while shepherding Jethro's flock in the wilderness. The evidence outside that room to those who had gathered there seeking the source of the great commotion were these men from Galilee proclaiming God's works of power. What does this mean that these uneducated country bumpkins from the Galilean sticks suddenly were fluent in all these foreign tongues? What does this mean that we have heard the the prelude to an encounter with God and now we're hearing these people reiterating for us the history of God's mighty acts for his people? Even today, the faithful are a bit perplexed by the events of that Pentecost day, and they, we, may ask the same question. What does this mean? While I don't have all the answers to such a deeply beautiful mystery as this, what I do know is that the outpouring of the Spirit of God on the faithful enables us to will and to do things that before had been impossible for us to will and to do. And we continue to underestimate what we can will and do with the divine presence of the Holy Spirit leading us. I don't think that's a coincidence that right after having become recipients of the indwelling of the Spirit that the disciples were compelled to publicly recount the deeds of power which God had manifest to his people from previous generations up to this very moment in their history. The Holy Spirit is, after all, a spirit of power from the most powerful God, a God so powerful that it was he who called the cosmos into existence and has numbered the hairs on every head of all the billions and billions of creatures he has created in his image A God so powerful that he can give life and he can raise the dead. The spirit of this powerful living God is that which was poured out on that Pentecost day to the disciples. The same spirit of this powerful living God is that which was poured out upon each and every one of us. We may feel differently about it than they did or Maybe we don't, but 
that is immaterial, for it doesn't matter how we feel about it. What matters is what God has ordained for us to do with his abiding presence in us. Well, then, you may be asking yourselves, what does this mean? I think it means in part that we too often underestimate ourselves, or more correctly, we underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit within us. I invite you to hear again what Paul wrote to his brothers and sisters in the church at Rome. He said, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. We have then received a spirit of adoption, not of slavery. We have been set free to will and to do, free from doubts, free from past failures, free from public opinion, free from conventional wisdom. And precisely because we are free from such things, we are free to live courageously, boldly, and faithfully for God. The church, you and I, have been gifted the Holy Spirit because not God knew that it that we needed the Holy Spirit. Left to our own devices, we would be far less successful in carrying out our mission of announcing, evidencing, and inaugurating the kingdom of God. That's why the apostles were granted this miraculous gift of multilingualism, to recount for all the people, each in their own language, the mighty acts, the power of God. What can we do with this very same gift? Well, perhaps the, the better question is, what can't we do with this very same gift? Perhaps God has not anointed any of us to speak in Rwandan or in Laotian or in Arabic, but that may be on account of the fact that there aren't many of those native speakers here in the neighborhood of Old Rehoboth. But we have been equipped with precisely what we need to do that which is pleasing to God here. We speak the language of medicine and of agriculture. We speak the language of education and engineering. We speak the language of banking and of building, of science and commerce, to name just a few. And the Lord will provide us with all the other languages we have need for as necessary. Which brings us back to the question, what does this mean? Well, in part, I think, it means that we should not be afraid of that which lies ahead, but rather excited about it, knowing that God is in control and that he is constantly present with us throughout it all. I think in part that it means we can both take stock of what we have done and are doing in worship and in mission, and that we can dream about the possibilities of what we can do, confident that we have or will be supplied with what we need to do that which we are called to do. 
And in part, I think it means that we should not be captive to a spirit of fear that would hold us back from being these daring and courageous followers of a risen Son of God whose deeds of power we are called and equipped to continue to speak. And for that, we may truly say, thanks be to God and amen.